0: This is going to be probably abbreviated because I have to stick to my time on Zoom for this recording, so good thing for you that you don't have my long-windedness. But I wanted to send this out before Lent actually started so that um, you can have a good sense as you work throughout this week as we enter into Ash Wednesday uh, what this season is all about. So let's begin here in the prayer. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you have invited us into your life. Now we prepare to walk with you to Calvary, to where you will reach your end and your glory, so that after your passion, the victory of God planned from all ages to defeat death, to restore order into the world, might be accomplished. And so we ask that you send us your Holy Spirit as we cover this content, as we enter into the season of Lent, to help us know, to help us understand, and most importantly, help us to move and act the way in conformity to the Father's will, so that dying to ourselves, we might be resurrected with you on Easter morning. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to move my head out of the outline and decrease a little bit. So thanks for your patience while I'm doing two things at once. All right. So today we just want to quickly cover Lent, the season of enlightenment and purification. But we want to begin kind of with a review. So if you remember back, I think it was in November, I had our class and I shared regarding the liturgical life and how following up of knowing what the Lord is inviting to us to when we worship, that our lives are lived out by the various seasons and rhythms of the liturgical season, just as we see here in catechism, um, paragraph 1163. Holy Mother Church believes that she should celebrate the saving work of her divine spouse in a sacred commemoration on certain days throughout the course of the year. Once a week, we celebrate the Lord's Day, which is a memory of the Lord's resurrection. But then also, we celebrate Easter once a year, and that's what we're progressing towards. And then Over the course of the year, we celebrate more mysteries of Christ, thus recalling the mysteries of redemption so that they're made present to us each and every year and that we can grow deeper into the mysteries. And it's not something, as we see in the next paragraph, that hasn't been done in the history of our faith, starting to begin with the Mosaic laws and our ancestors, the God's people, the Israelites this has been a normal way that God has continued to perpetuate an understanding and most importantly, a communion with him, a relationship that's lived out by his dictates of how he wishes to be worshiped and invites us into that. And then finally, in that last paragraph there, just in the short review, when the church celebrates the mystery of Christ, there is a word that marks our prayer today, a word echoing the prayer that the Lord is, taught her, and the call of the Holy Spirit, this today of the living God, which man is called to enter, is the hour of Jesus' Passover, which reaches across and underlies all history. So today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. It's a refrain that's opened up every day for our priests and as they begin prayer. Uh, It's something that we'll hear throughout Lent, because the whole point of this season is that we don't want hard hearts. We want to be able to enter into life's great mysteries, the joys and the sufferings, and conform ourselves to the image of the invisible God, who is Jesus Christ. So if you recall, we talked about various seasons. That was right before Advent. So there's a small penitential season that led us up to Christmas. Well, now we're getting into the penitential season of Lent, the liturgical season of Lent that leads us up to Easter. And it's 40 days beginning with Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday, February 22nd. And then it actually concludes at the beginning of the Paschal Mystery, the Easter Triduum, which begins on Holy Thursday. But for us properly, we can think all of Lent is from Ash Wednesday, for most people, all the way to Easter. It's the primary penitential season in the liturgical year, reflecting on the 40 days Jesus spent in the desert in fasting and prayer. It's the one that, as Catholics, we're probably most known for. You get the ashes on the head. If you didn't know, the whole reason why we have Filet-O-Fish at McDonald's is because the Catholic consumers had such an influence when McDonald's was making their hamburgers at the beginning that they realized on Fridays during Lent our profits take a hit and so we need to cater to the catholics and still have them coming to McDonald's and so they created the fillet of fish sandwich so it's marked by not eating meat on Fridays during Lent but it's a time that can be a great blessing and uh, opportunity for evangelization because most notably during this season, we are set apart, not because we wish to remain apart, but because we show that there is something more to life than just the normal everyday activities that we engage in. And so we can think of Lent as. With some natural analogies in 1.1 here. It's training, preparation, self emptying, and pruning. So it's training. All the practices that we'll talk about here later help us to say yes to God in a greater way. It prepares our hearts for the joy of Easter because during this time, we especially walk with Jesus in his most difficult moments. Just as he empties himself out on the cross and embraces the world with open arms, we too do practices of self-emptying, to share in that life. And then it's an opportunity for us to look towards the sin in our lives and see where we need to be pruned in order to be um, greater disciples of the Lord Jesus. So Lent isn't directly spoken of in the Bible, but we have figures of it all throughout sacred scripture. One of the first is Noah and the ark. It's a prefigurement of baptism, which we'll get to later, how Lent deepens our baptismal call as Christians. Uh, But then how many days was Noah in the ark? Well, 40. How many days is Lent? Well, 40. And then further, we see the events in the Exodus, Moses on Mount Sinai in the desert. So Moses is on the mountain for how many days? 40 days. When the Israelites lose heart, and are unwilling to enter into the promised land as planned, then how long do they have to spend wandering in the desert? 40 years. And so God is continuing to use this number as a sign of a generation, but then also a time of preparation, a full time in order to prepare oneself for the great joys that he has prepared for us. And then, so we see the numbers 40 there. But then some of the specific practices of Lent come from some of these other places and sacred scripture. So Jonah and the people of Nineveh, remember Jonah, he's swallowed by the whale with a big fish. Uh, and he is swallowed because he's running away from the mission that God has given him. And so he gets thrown over into the sea, gets swallowed by the fish, because his mission is to go and preach to the Ninevites, who were particularly strong and dangerous people at that time, as well as sinful But the Lord had a plan for them, and so he sends Noah. And so then Noah begins his journey, as we see here in Jonah 3, verse 4. And when he had gone only a single day's walk, announcing 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and all of them, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So we see first here, or the first highlight that I want to draw is the sitting in ashes. It's a connection to the practice of Ash Wednesday. And anointing, marking ourselves is probably a better way. We don't get anointed with ashes, but marked with ashes. Uh, And this pulls us back to Genesis 2 where we see Remember that you, or when God forms man out of the dust, and then after the fall, he says, you will return to dust. He makes reference that we are dust, and we see elsewhere in the Psalms. Uh, without God's living spirit in us and his great words and commandments, um, we return to nothing. And so uh, as a sign of humility here, the king of Nineveh, puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes to remember him that he is humbled before God and he must look towards him for his life-sustaining gifts and guidance. Then also we see King David's prayer for repentance after he sins with Bathsheba. So this is Psalm 51, and it's one that we hear continually throughout Lent, but especially on the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday. For I know my transgression, my sin transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your eyes. A clean heart create for me, O God. Renew within me a steadfast spirit. Lord, you will open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or I would give it. A burnt offering you would not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A contrite, humbled heart, oh God, you will not scorn. So it speaks to the interiority of our practices, of what we hold up for this land. We recognize our sinfulness and our need for God. And then we recognize that what he most wants for us is a heart converted for him. He doesn't want us to give up chocolate or just fast or various other things. But these various practices, as you may be aware of during Lent, are all made to help us convert our hearts back to God. And then Joel's call to return to the Lord here in the book of the prophet Joel It's another opening reading from the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday. So we see, yet yeah, even now, oracle of the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. Free is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting in punishment. Blow the horn, proclaim a fast, call an assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation. So we'll hear these words, the abbreviated snapshot, that we see proclaim a fast. So we look towards the Old Testament to say, why do we fast during Lent? Well, Joel calls for it. It's a way to gather the people and sanctify the congregation to move us closer to the mercy of God by calling out for it. And then finally, we get to Jesus and his participation, as well as his exemplary practices of fighting temptations in the desert in his public ministry. So recently we covered the sacrament of baptism. We saw Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him and he is anointed. And we cover that during the sacrament of confirmation. When we look at those accounts in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, those that have Very similar patterns, is what synoptic means. We see that immediately after Jesus' baptism, he's driven out into the desert where he is tempted by the devil, prepares for his public ministry. So from the Spirit, Jesus goes out, is driven out by the Holy Spirit into the desert, where he prepares for his public ministry. And then this Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, we'll hear from the Gospel of Matthew, Uh, Some of my favorite, one of my favorite accounts in sacred scripture of the various temptations that the devil presents before Jesus and how our Lord doesn't respond by his own words, but he responds with the word of God. And he is the word of God. And so when he speaks, what comes out is the word of God. But uh, it's such a beautiful reflection for us during this season of Lent to say, look, it's not my own power that I'm searching after it's our Lord's words that have become such a part of me that they just emanate forth because the devil is a lot wilier, smarter, and stronger than we are. His intellect is more perfect than ours. And so if we start trying to get into a game of argument with him, we're going to fail. So what do we do? We look to our Lord and to his words and they're the saving power for us. And then after that time of preparation in the desert, which is 40 days, Jesus begins his public ministry with the invitation to repent. Remember, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of of God or heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Believe in the gospel. I think I mixed those up. It's not an exact citation there, but we've covered that from the beginning of the krigma and how that follows and has traced us along the way during this course. Organize our lives around him. We're going that way. Come follow after Jesus this way, to share in the mission he's received from his Father. So we see the figures of Lent in the Bible, and from that, we actually then move into the history of the church, the development of this specific season. And it was originally called in 1.3 letter A here, the season of enlightenment and purification. The practice of some form of Lent is attested to by the church fathers. So St. Jerome, St. Leo, the great St. Cyril of Alexandria and St. Isidore of Seville all attest that a fast was prescribed by the apostles before the celebration of Easter each year. These practices varied by region, but universally in the church, a fast was observed in our Uh, bishops our first apostles and those that followed after them knew deeply our lord's words when he says when uh, the pharisees ask him why do your disciples not fast he's like they will fast when i'm taken away and so now that we're in this time of waiting the second coming and living in the age of the church we do fast to prepare for this preparation to enter into the mystery in a special way at easter so from the beginning, there was a practice of fasting. And then the roots of Lent go back to the early church. When those who wished to become Christians underwent a period of preparation before their baptism. At first, Lent was practiced by those entering the church. And this period of preparation was called the season of enlightenment and purification. It was that final push. So the last studies for enlightenment. Last studies for understanding. And then the last studies of really shoring up the Christian life before one entered into it during baptism. Back then, we see in Roman numeral three, the church grew exponentially. So at first there were a few Christians, but then there were many. So there was the season of enlightenment and purification, but once the true church grew and there were more and more people and less and less catechumens, then many people still look towards and were edified and inspired by those who were becoming Christian. And so the whole church saw what was once at first this preparation for those that were pagan and coming into the faith of saying, you know what, there's such good beauty here that we need to practice a renewing of one's baptism through a period of penitence. And recommitment to Christian living during the time of final preparations for those entering the church at Easter. So, Lent's becoming a little bit more formalized, but it still comes from your experience of preparing to enter into the church. So, at first, it was for those pagans and those unbaptized, which were many at the beginning, but as the church grew, that number shrank. So, we still wanted to hold the practice together. And that's what we do today. In a a sense, everyone who's participating with Lent is participating with your final preparations during the season of Lent. And then by in the 6th century in the West, Lent was practiced in the common form of 40 days of inner renewal before Easter. And then in the East, which would be uh, some of the Greek churches and Turkey on over and Constantinople and the Byzantine Empire, if you know your history, Um, but just when I refer to the East, it's kind of um, a geographical split, but the same unity of faith. Um, The fast, the Septuagisma, began much earlier and extended a lengthier period of time. So our practice has generally been 40 days, but if you want to, just for historical reference, in the East, it's always been a little bit longer. And at the heart of this, letter B here, is repent and believe in the gospel. So our own bishops here in the United States state, today, Lent, is a time when all the baptized are called to renew their baptismal commitment. The key to fruitful observance of these practices is to recognize their link to baptismal renewal. We are called not just to abstain from sin during Lent, but to true conversion of our hearts and minds as followers of Christ. Recall those waters in which we are baptized in Christ's death, died to sin and evil and began new life in Christ. So just as Chad pointed out, every time we dip our hand into the holy water font and mark ourselves, it's not just a simple practice. We're remembering ourselves of our baptism, our high calling and the great gift that God has given us. And then we hold up because as human beings, we often know that we can't do all things at once with full effort. Sometimes we just have to go through the normal motions But then we can do with strong commitment this period of time that allows us to make great growth. And that's the season of Lent. So every time, every day, we're supposed to call, remember our baptism and our confirmation. But we know that as human beings, sometimes we need a time of special dedication. That's the season of Lent. And then just for your reference, the practices of Lent have changed over the years. The current obligations are abstinence from meat on Fridays and fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Fridays. And the past faithful were to abstain from more. So meat, eggs, dairy and other things during all the seasonal Lent. And these fasts gave rise to the current celebrations of Mardi Gras, which is tomorrow, or Shrove Tuesday, also tomorrow. Shrove Tuesday, you'd make pancakes to empty your pantry out of eggs and milk, all the things that you wouldn't be able to have for the next 40 days. And then Carnival, because in the past we were to fast from all meat, and so you wouldn't have meat for another 40 days. So feast on meat tomorrow during Carnival. The pillars of Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and 1.4 here. Letter A. Lent lasts forty days and forty nights. That is the same time Jesus was in the desert before His public ministry. It began or begins on Ash Wednesday, always a Wednesday, but it's not the same date each year. It moves depending on the date of Easter, and it ends on Holy Thursday, which begins the Easter Triduum. Sundays are not counted in the forty days. So if you go and count the calendar. You won't see strict 40 days, Um, Sundays aren't counted, and then technically, but uh, you can count the 40 fast days. So we should ask ourselves, or maybe you've asked yourselves this before, why do Catholics do something during Lent? Why do anything during Lent? The external practices of Lent are symbols of inward realities taking place. So as we prepare our hearts for deeper conversion, then from that flows this desire to conform one's lives to the life of Christ Jesus. And it takes its way or shape in four different ways. So in forms of penance, where we give up something, or we make an effort to say we're sorry for God for our sins. And then that's a small effort of restitution back of God. Back to God and giving to Him His great gifts that He has given us. And then these external practices make room for God. So we might choose to fast or sacrifice from something in our lives, even if it's a small sacrifice. So small no's lead to greater yeses down the road, which then allows us to strengthen our will. Here we see in Roman numeral 3. The practice of self denial is a way to strengthen our will to resist sin in our lives. So by saying no to chocolate, which is a traditional thing people give up, or sweets, it actually helps me kind of later on down, combat sin in my life. So anytime we're resisting our will, saying no um, with the right intention of heart allows us to resist sin in our lives. And then finally, because we are made priest, prophet, and kings by our baptism to share in Christ's common offices to sanctify the world. We are also prepared for mission during this time. So Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the desert before his public ministry. We can also do these to help prepare for the missions God has given us in our baptisms. The traditional practices of Lent are drawn from Jesus' Sermon on the Mounts, and they are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. So prayer, when we think of prayer, it's just our conversation with God those formal and informal conversations that we enter into. If we are asked to pray more during Lent, the more does not necessarily mean quantity, but rather quality. It's the time to renew the personal and communal aspects of prayer. Personal, in that we are attentive and intentional with the one whom we are speaking. And then communal, as we recognize that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is in the midst of us. And that's highlighted by Jesus' instructions during the Sermon of the Mount where he says, don't be like the hypocrites who stand and pray just so that they're noticed, but rather go to your room and pray to me with intentionality of heart. He does say the hypocrites who stand and pray that others may be noticed. doesn't negate their prayers. They've received their reward. But when we come together, even if it's personally or communally at Mass, What's really meant is that we're in relationship with God. We're not here just to impress or show somebody that we're super holy. So we close our door in the inner room of our heart and pray to our Father in secret. And then we don't trust in secret formulas. Now you might say as we've been going along with the sacraments, well we have formulas for the sacraments. Um, but these are because they're words that the Lord has given us, specifically they're how we are obedient to His words and His teaching. But when we pray, we can also pray from the heart. We aren't so superstitious and that if I recite in my personal prayer these exact words, it's going to bring this effect. And so we don't pray like the pagans who babble on or worry about what specific words to say. Rather, we pray and we ask our Father what we need, where we could grow, because He already knows what we need before we ask Him. Then we fast. So we have a privation of personal goods, which creates freedom for the goods of God. Fasting is not necessarily about restriction of restriction itself, There is a common attitude in fasting uh, today as a form of self-help. It might help you lose weight, save money, maximize time, etc. But the practice of fasting is not self-help. It's really drawn to this inward conversion of the heart. Our Lord speaks of that in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They neglect their appearance so that they may appear to others be fasting. Amen, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so they may not appear to others to be fat. So that you may not appear to others to be fasting, except your Father who is hidden. And your Father who sees what is hidden will repay you. So again, we say small noes, so that we can say greater yeses to God. That's the heart of fasting. And when we do that, we're not gloomy. We're actually city sets on a hill and light to the world, and that's why we wash our face and anoint our head with oil. People recognize the radiance that comes from this giving of oneself in order to be completely filled by God. From there, we have the practice of almsgiving, and I just want to highlight two quotes here in Roman numeral 3 under 1.4. Um, the practices of almsgiving from the Church Fathers. So St. John Christum reminds us, not to, ena- not to enable the poor to share in our goods is to steal from them and deprive them of life. The goods we possess are not ours, but theirs. And then St. Ambrose gives us a concrete reality of this truth when he says, if you have two shirts in your closet, one belongs to you and the other to the man with no shirt, We store up treasures in heaven as we rid ourselves of treasures on earth, freeing us to receive the great gift on Easter, the greatest gift on Easter. Our Lord again says to this, What you do for almsgiving, let it be true to the heart. So don't blow the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets to win the praise of others. Amen, I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing, so that your almsgiving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So during this season of Lent, but always, let us pursue almsgiving, care for others, with the care of others as our first reason, and and the spirit of our heart. Not just to... Make myself feel good because I've helped someone out, but to truly look out for their good, as well as also to not impress others by our great charity. Let us move on here to point two a short reflection on Ash Wednesday as we prepare for it this Wednesday. So, in 2.1, who can receive ashes? Anyone. It's going to be the, the most diverse procession that you're ever going to see on the course of the normal year. We're going to have mothers carrying babies in their arms, toddlers holding on to dad's hand, teens, general parishioners, employees from nearby places of businesses, the elderly. We all come together to mark together the beginning of Lent, and anyone, including kids and non-Catholics, can receive ashes as a sign of repentance. And the ashes, what are they? 2.2. The act of receiving ashes is not a sacrament. Ashes are what we call sacramentals. Sacramentals are dynamic signs that help us prepare for receiving the sacraments. They help us receive the graces of the sacraments. They help make holy various occasions in our lives. Letter B here. So, you know, the ashes are traditionally made up by burning last year's Palm Sunday palms. Some places they are locally burned and produced but often they are provided by a church supply store. So these ashes are symbols for us. They help us participate with the actual graces God wants to give us so that we can grow closer to him in the sacraments. So they're not sacraments giving sanctifying graces, but they are ways that we are moved to repentance as we are marked with ashes on our forehead. And that brings us to letter or point 2.3, the imposition of ashes. Ashes are blessed and distributed on Ash Wednesday, often during Mass or prayer service. For us here at St. Peter, it will occur after the Mass has concluded. People walk up using the same pro- procession as communion. The person distributing the ashes marks on the recipient forehead and says either remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return or repent and believe in the gospel or something similar of those words in the United States letter B here we see that it's customary to mark on a person's forehead but in other parts of the world including in Italy ashes are actually sprinkled on someone's head and then in letter C here the significance of the ashes We are entering into the time of Lent, preparing for Easter with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We're embracing Jesus' journey along the way with our own lives. The ashes help us connect the spiritual aspect of Christ's cross and resurrection with our everyday lives. In addition to the liturgical significance of receiving ashes, we are also called to remember that our repentance is a call to proper relationship between our God and each other. Saying a prayer of repentance and remembering your sins is an appropriate way to receive the ashes. So when you go up to receive, call to mind that you have a need for God and that you want to restore a relationship with him. Don't go in there errant-minded. The ashes on our foreheads are visible signs that we are followers of Jesus. They also, in a way, tell ourselves and those around us that we are beginning the holy season of Lent, 40 days leading up to Easter, leaving them on helps you remember this throughout the day and but know that there, there are no rules requiring how long you must leave the ashes on your forehead or when you can wash them off point two point four here is ash Wednesday a holy day of obligation despite it being one of the most ho- attended holy days of the year by Catholic around the world it is not an official holy day of obligation so I call it a holy day because there is something set apart about it and something that is special. But it's not a holy day of obligation where the faithful are called to attend Mass during that day. One of the reasons why I think that it is one of the most well-attended masses is because we do, in our persons, recognize this need for God and our sorrow for sin. We know that by looking out in the state of the world, Things aren't as they should be, and we need to do something about that. The ultimate answer is found in God. But people come, even if they haven't been practicing the faith, because of this recognition and this prompting of the Holy Spirit and the actual graces God is affording to them. So we've reached the point of the beginning of Lent. So how do we have a great Lent? Let's investigate that in point three here. So letter A Do what is required during Lent called for by the Code of Canon Law, which means abstain from meat on Ash Wednesday and every Friday during Lent for all Catholics 14 and up. And then fast, that means one full meal and two small meals that don't equal to the full meal and no snacks throughout the day for all Catholics ages 18 to 59 on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Now. If you're getting into the calculus of how many, what is a small meal, what's a full meal, um, you might not ask me. I'm not going to be the best help because it's something that happens in our family. Oh, does this count? Does this count? Uh, investigate with the interiority of your heart. Okay, where's the spirit? Am I truly giving of myself by these smaller meals? Am I doing it in such a way that I'm not? being totally deprived, but that I'm making space and denying myself so that I can grow in deeper conversion of heart. That's my best recommendation and practices for you. Letter B here has do what is meaningful and not what is expedient. That's taken from Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules to Live By, but I think it's a good marker for how we should approach Lent. Lent should change us. It prepares us for a deeper relationship of following Jesus for the rest of our lives. Knowing that, we should have two goals. Fast or give up something good for Lent that we can give thanks to God for it when we pick it back up at Easter to celebrate the resurrection or also to be gone from it for the rest of our lives. So I used to have a huge addiction to Mountain Dew. When I was in eighth grade, I gave up Mountain Dew for Lent and I haven't drinken a Mountain Dew since." I said, I do not need this in my life, but there's been some things that I've picked up uh, or that I've put away and then picked back up at Easter. So podcasting is one of them. Last year, I gave up podcasts, which ultimately led to a greater um, spirit of silence in my life and availability to hear God's voice. And Uh, I picked it back up on Easter. At first, I was a good consumer, but then I kind of just let my normal tendencies and have something always playing in my ear. So I think that's what I'm going to do this year again is give up podcasts during Lent so that I can have a greater attentiveness to God's voice in my life. And who knows, this time I might be ready to be done with them for the rest of my life. But then, so we give something up, and then let's pick something up. So we act more like Jesus by doing something each day to be more like him. So that's Roman numeral 2 under point B here. So that might be something more for prayer or more almsgiving or just beginning to pray or have almsgiving. Let's move to letter C here as we go through the ideas for practices. These should be smart. Our Lenten sacrifices should be quote unquote smart, as in smart goals. They should be challenging but not impossible. So, what is a smart goal? It's something that's specific. So, instead of just saying pray more, our goal should be to say a daily examination of conscience at the end of the day. We're specific in what we want to do, not just this ambiguous more. It's measurable. We're able to track it. Did I do it? Did I not do it? How long did I do it? Is it attainable? So you might have a great idea to pray 10 rosaries but this probably isn't realistic for any one of us praying a rosary a day though is likely so is it attainable and then is it realistic can you see it playing out in your life so giving up your phone might not be the best option if your family needs to get a hold of you but maybe deleting the social media apps that suck your time during lent is realistic is it time-specific? So already we're here time-specific with the 40 days. But then also putting on it, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes, or I'm going to pray three times a day. You can see that it's tied for a marker of time that you're used to hold yourself accountable. Finally, in Roman numeral 3 here, 2, 3, and 4, let's just see some ideas of what you could do. For fasting, you give up some of the usual suspects. Soda or junk food or something more challenging possibly, giving up TV. For me, I remember when we were in fourth grade and we gave up TV as a family on Fridays. During fourth grade, you don't necessarily have a large social life. And so Friday nights consisted of going to Stations of the Cross and then maybe out for fish or coming home for fish and then silence because I could not watch TV. I remember how memorable it is and striking and difficult because I would wake up at 12.01. So if I missed any TV shows during the normal East Coast airing of it, when we had Dish Network, I could catch it on the Pacific Coast channel. And it shows that our practices during Lent. So I share this story just to say it is memorable for me. The aspect of fasting, giving something up, can be something that you'll carry for the rest of your life. So give up something that possibly is not just easy, but challenging. Not what is expedient, but meaningful. So that actually could lead us to some other ideas. What do we give up? Well, give up listening to music or podcasts or TV. Something that allows you to spend more time in quiet, or more time in prayer, or more time with your family. And then you could give up something also for the sake of God's creation. So taking cold showers, using less, using electricity less. These are all ways that we can give back to God of the great gifts that he has given us. So then prayer, let us consider during this time of Lent to read scripture more. I want to specifically highlight that. So get to know Jesus by reading a section of the gospel each day. Or if you're just beginning to pray, find a short prayer to pray three times a day. Or go to the Stations of the Cross beginning with Mass at 5.30 p.m. here at St. Peter and then those that the Stations that follow. For almsgiving, practice being present. So you could give yourselves to other people by using your phone or electronic devices less and spending more time with your family. Give of your talents, so take on a new responsibility at home or a chore or even here at the parish. And then lend generously, minister in a new way to the poor. So actually stop the car when driving by someone who is in need or having something prepared for them in advance, so going to the grocery store And getting some gift cards five dollars ten dollars so that if you're like me and you don't carry any cash when you encounter someone you're able to give them something that's already prepared beforehand so that concludes our brief overview of Lent I just want to send out a few reminders here This Thursday, I will be giving you a packet of any materials that we still need from you as we enter into these final preparations. For many of you, this is going to be the sponsor form, but maybe we're still needing um, some verification of baptism or your information form. Um, And as well as in this packet, there's a marked um, letter of intent. Do you intend to enter into the church? this lent i know some of you are still discerning but we are coming to a time where we need to get our final preparations together and then as well this also has do you intend to participate in our easter vigil here at st peter and how many people might attend from your family for our planning purposes and then last thing coming up this sunday is the rite of election and the call to continuing conversion at 3 p.m at the cathedral bring your sponsor and i hope to see you there let's close here in a prayer father and son and the holy spirit amen come holy spirit help us enter into this season of lent with pure hearts contrite hearts and sorrowful hearts Help us be strengthened by the grace you wish to give us to draw deeper uh, into the life and mystery of Jesus Christ, so that being associated with his death, we might be associated with his resurrection. And we ask this, giving glory to God, as we pray. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen death we might be associated with his resurrection and we ask this giving glory to god as we pray glory be to the father to the son and to the holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen father and the son of the holy spirit amen thank you for listening to this great content from saint peter catholic church for more content for other talks For more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.